Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, uh, Top Gear magazine's editor, joined by Rowan Horncastle, Top Gear's head of content. Uh, This episode, we're going to be talking about supercar road trip heaven, clinging on to Hennessy's F5 Venom, and the top nine forbidden fruits, Rowan. Apples. Yeah, no, they're not forbidden. They're allowed. Yeah, you've got the wrong end of the stick there. Um, What have you been thinking about? Many, there's a lot going on in car world currently, isn't there? There is. There, we've just come back from the Festival of Speed. More on that in a minute. But the the thing that is really striking, accord with me currently, Beaconsfield Services. There's there, that place is a marvel of Beaconsfield ma- specifically, or yeah. just service stations in general. Well, it's got a weather. Sp- it's got a pub first yeah, of all, which yeah. service stations probably shouldn't do. Which actually started serving beer to everyone before actually the pubs reopened at the end of lockdown. So there were people specifically driving to Beaconsfield Services so they could have a pint of beer before the pubs actually opened. And it, it does have a large array of um, restaurants, which I probably can't get into for branding reasons. But before the toilets, there is the selfie stick stall, which also serves like key change, phone cases. Who needs that? Did it get when you, you go down the M40? Did, did you walk out with a Diamante uh, iPhone, iPhone case? No, but it's just like, who's like, all oh, right, I know what I'd do. Oh, God, I've left my iPhone case at home. I need to get one now. And what are they doing? Do you know what I need to do? I need to do a selfie of myself urinating um, next to a couple of strangers. Oh, perfect. That's just over there. It is a bit bizarre, isn't it? Just while you're waiting for your burger to be ready from the yeah. from old Ronald. But uh, yeah, I just it's super bizarre. Is it money laundering? I don't really know what's going on there. Got to be money laundering. A bit like those American candy stores, which, you know, look quite shiny and interesting. But does anyone ever go in there and spend 12 quid in a box of... Candy from America, I don't know. Anyway, I got you a present. I got you a selfie stick from Beaconsfield Services. I've already but... got one, mate. already got one. <laughs> anyway, we need, to, we need to move on very quickly and actually talk about this issue. Um, yeah, what special you, one. What do you want to talk about, Ray? I want to talk about the cover star. Oh, nice. The Kuntash. The new Kuntash on one of the most uh, impressive bits of road in the world, the Stelvio. We haven't been there for a while. Obviously, the telly show back in the day, uh, James, Richard and Jeremy, Went there in three lightweight supercars. I remember it well. Took it, you know, the world went bananas for it. But we haven't been there since Performance Car of the Year. I can't remember many moons ago. Uh, Performance Car of the Year, two thousand and before my time. Yeah, exactly yeah. that one. I wished I was at. But a man who was there and has gone there again because he loves the place is Ollie Marriage. Should we get Ollie on? Yeah, Ollie there. I'm here. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you very much, you lucky, lucky man. I mean, honestly, if you sat down one day, aged 15, and said, uh, I want to be a car journalist, I'd like to drive a Lamborghini Countach on the Stelvio, you'd sort of, (laughs) you know, someone would laugh at you, wouldn't they? Uh, Yeah, yeah, and they still do laugh at me when I say that many, (laughs) many years later. (laughs) But also, it's not just the Stelvio when it's full of cyclists and other people with caravans and tourists and everyone getting out for selfies with their selfie sticks from Beaconsfield Services. But no, it is empty because you went and opened the road, didn't you, Ollie? Uh, Exactly that. So when we, you're right, we have been a performance car of the year 2011, which was my my first performance car of the year, but this time... And we had, yeah, and back then we got the road closed for like two hours very, very early in the morning. We're allowed to do that. But this time I've been speaking to the guy who who sort of runs all the roads in that area. 
And he said, well, it takes us six to eight weeks to open the pass because you have to clear all the snow. Then you've got to do the road repairs and you've got to make sure there's no loose rock and all this sort of thing. So we'd agreed that we could come while they were repairing the road and use the road to drive up and down and have to ourselves for a couple of days. And it was just magnificent. Everything you'd expect, but with no one else around. It'd be fun in a hire car. But you took something a bit more impressive than some old... A uh, bit wider. Yeah, yeah panda. <laughs> than a battered panda, yeah. What did you take? Well, uh, something less well-suited to the Stelvio than a battered old panda, actually. Uh, the Lamborghini Countach. Um, and that, I, I, I am now reliably informed, is the, is the correct pronunciation. Countach. It's got to be quite a hard tach sound, apparently, at the end. We have, I did, I did actually see... A, between a lot of people. <laughs> I did actually see an early draft of um, your incredible video that's going up uh, on our YouTube channel of, of this experience we're about to talk about. And you do begin by calling it the Countach, but then yeah. later correct yourself. So yeah, yeah. it's a bit of self-correction. We, we had there. an early draft because one of the guys said, oh, it's the Piedmontese dialect. It's, it means, basically, the translation is, it's a miracle. But you've got to get the pronunciation right, or it means something slightly different or something. <laughs> I can't quite remember what it was. Swearing, probably. But yeah. Kuntach seems to be the, the correct pronunciation. And so the thing about the Stelvio is I've never been there. I've never driven it, but it does have this legendary status. Um, but it's sort of not a very good driving road, is it? It's sort of held yeah. up in, in esteem as like the ultimate driving experience, but it yeah. looks a bit narrow and a bit scary. It, it is. Well, there's still, I mean, like most mountain passes, there's two sides to it. So the southern side, which comes up from Bormio in Italy, is lovely. It's really nice to drive, but it's not the iconic side. The iconic side's the northern side, which used to be like the Austrian side, but now because the borders have moved, it's all within Italy. And that side is the one that comes up around these 48 hairpin bends and just keeps coming, climbing and climbing and climbing all the way up. And that's the famous side, because when you look down from the top, you just see this ricochet of hairpins going all the way down. What is basically a cliff face, how they ever built a road up there in the first place is remarkable when you think when, about when, it. When was it built? You mentioned it first in your built story. built in 1820 to 1825. Yeah. So it's I mean, 200 what, what, years old. What was carrying the materials up there? Donkeys? Horses. And in fact, they had it. It was a tourist road before cars were ever invented. They used to do um, horses and carriages, and you could take you take you all day to get from Bormio on one side to Trafoy on the other, and you could do it as a coach and horses ride back in the mid nineteenth century. Also, it's taken them about seven years to put an extra lane on the M4 to, to ready. Like, how do they <laughs> yeah. make this road slither up a mountain pass in that time? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where we can't even get an extra lane. It's just and so the, the most amazing thing about it is when we when we talk about um, mountain passes, we usually say, oh, it's like a ribbon of tarmac laid across the mountain. And the reality of it is it's more like a cathedral built into the mountain because the buttressing and the towers and the everything else, apparently it's dug so far into the mountain and the way it's constructed, it's it's literally anchored right into the bedrock. There are apparently these pylons that go into the rock and there's these slabs that are laid over. They said the construction of it is astonishing. And there must be some uh, elements of danger uh, around being the first person to drive it in the season because obviously it's been covered in snow i imagine the road is crumbling uh, underneath yeah. it rocks are falling down so it probably wasn't 
smooth sailing, was it? So exactly that. So the we we were hoping to go there while there was still some snow on it, but then the weather got a bit warm, so there was no snow left for us to drive on. So even though the contest was on winter tires, but the um, but yeah, the 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 biggest problem they had they then delayed us because they had heavy rain two days before, which was washing a load more rock off the hillsides and onto the road. And they said, look, we can't let you go until the rocks are all out the, or some of the rocks have fallen at least. But then we were pick, having to pick our way around them as we drove up. And we'd had to stop every so often and just brush them to the side because it's the last job that the road the road builders do is they they you know they, they clear all the snow, then they resurface it, they check everything's safe and all the rest of it. And the last job they have to do is they walk they, they rope people up and walk them down the mountain faces to kick all the loose stone and stuff down so that it won't fall during the summer is the idea. So you, yeah, you get all this rubbish on the road and you just have to sort of brush it to the side. And the last job they do obviously is sweep the road clear of stone. At least you weren't driving anything expensive, you know. Yeah, let's get to, let's get to the let's get to the, let's get to the car because yeah. it is quite a controversial thing, isn't it? It is, and you know, just so. The, the Lamborghini Countach for me is was my that was my bedroom car from the age of five. It was my top trumps card. It was everything to me. Anything that had a picture of that car on it was just the world to me. Absolutely the world. So the re- the idea of it being recreated, I wasn't a hundred percent averse to it being a recreation, but I don't like the way that it turned out. I certainly didn't when I first saw the pictures. And so it, it it was, yeah, it was a difficult one for me because I just thought it's such a shame that it's not quite, you know, Lamborghini hasn't pushed it to the next, to, to a different degree, if you like, and made it, you know, the, you know, the original Contact was a, was a revolution. It wasn't an evolution of anything. And they're saying, Lamborghini's saying this is how it would have evolved. But for me, it was a revolutionary car. And I think a, bringing back that name means you need a revolution to, in the design and everything else of it. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's based on the Xi'an or Cian or whoever, however you pronounce it, um, which is their kind of mad, uh, slightly hybrid-infused uh, Aventador, um, knowing that it was based, it was new clothes around an existing car, kind of didn't help that feeling that it had been, you know, slightly rushed out the door. Uh, and also when you're around the back of the car, there are Kuntash cues there but actually you can see quite a lot of the shine in in the back end as yeah. well so the front end i think is quite nice and wedgy and squared off and uh i'm, I'm glad it was in white actually because that's a very contest color with with, as... a, with a blood red interior but also uh, when it was first announced i i didn't really get on board it, but seeing it moving on this road there's a bit of reality to it it does help but it is a big name to bring back from the dead really isn't it it, it? Is. it is but it is. the noise it makes that justifies pretty much everything about the entire car. Well, that's probably just what to shook hear all... that thing echoing back from shook mountainsides. That's probably what the rocks off the, uh, off the mountainside, wasn't it? You, you smashing around with this V12 on full throttle was probably <laughs> causing all these rocks <laughs> it, to fall down in your roof. Probably, yeah, it might have, might have loosened a few, I reckon. Yeah, it's certainly got was... the volume to do it. Ollie, there was this lovely line in your feature where you talk about, I mean, you've just said there how much this car meant to you when you when you were younger and growing up. And I think we all had certain poster cars in our youth. Um, but you said, you know, you're approaching the Stelvio and, and you're in a Kuntash, maybe not the right Kuntash, but a Kuntash nonetheless. And you sort of got a bit choked up at the, the sort of prospect yeah. of what, what was happening. I just wanted you to elaborate on that because 
I, I love that. Yeah, it was because it was that whole, it was quite emotional because I thought if, you know, the, the 10, 12 year old me could have had one picture in their head of, you know, being able to one day drive the Lamborghini Countach and then be, where would you want to drive it? You want to drive it to the top of a mountain. It was, it was all that sort of vibe to it really did take me back all the way through the years to doing so to make it happen was fantastic and then just to be there and have that experience and looking out through this windscreen that's as flat as a skylight and you're just trying to drink everything in and you see little peaks appearing and the trees whizzing by it was just that was really special it really meant something to me and and just just to be clear were you choked up or did you shed a manly tear I, I think I probably did both, actually. I was a bit... Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> but also, because we haven't been there in a while, camera technology has massively improved over the last mm. decade, and especially since the Telly Boys were last there, which, if you go onto YouTube and you do look at the footage, A, it's never as long... The road was never shown for as long as you think. It was just iconic, as you said, at that time, with a like Gen 1 GoPro at the front. Now that we threw all the toys at it, the road looks more spectacular than ever, and Mark Easton, who's done the film for us, and Mark Ritchie, only who's done the stills with new drone technology plus what cameras are this road looks better than ever and the scale of it is just off, it, it does off it the does scale. um and check out the check out the cover of the magazine amazing work from andy franklin and elliot webb uh, it just it's a beautiful issue it's a beautiful cover image the features fantastic photography's off the scale um it was it was mark Mark Riccioni yeah. that shot it, right? And yeah, yeah. and then again, go and watch the go and watch the video as well because the footage is just spectacular. Yeah. Um, I'm very very jealous, right? Yeah, ma- yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. this is Top Gear is his best of his ambitious of like going straight to your inner eight year old and going, I want to have a go at that. Yeah, sometimes yeah. we we can overthink things, but a contest yeah. on the the Stelvio is just peak, isn't it? Yeah, but the nice thing was it did sort of blend because. The Stelvio isn't an amazing driver's road and the Countach isn't an amazing driver's car. But they both had this relationship between them where you've got that scale and the drama and the excitement of both of them actually meant they fitted together really, really well. Did you get to thrash it on the other side, which is a bit better for yeah. driving? Yeah, I did. We got a little bit told off because our permissions were meant to end at the top barrier but because the same key fitted the uh, fitted the bottom barrier, also fitted the top barrier, we went through the top barrier as well, and we 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 met the same roads guys on the other side who were w- working on that side of the pass, and they said, uh, "You're not meant to be here. You're allowed that side, but not this side." But you then they, they they sort of can't. went. Actually, it looks really cool over here amongst the snowfields. Crack on for an hour. You'll be fine. <laughs> This is exactly what I was going to say. You cannot get told off in Italy no. when you're driving a white Lamborghini <laughs> Countach. I bet if you got pulled over by the police doing about 150 miles an hour, they'd probably take about two minutes before they it, would it, take It wouldn't selfies. matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, w- I was lucky enough to have a, um, an Aventador SV Roadster, on, again on a closed uh, mountain pass in Italy. The police stopped to tell me to go faster and recorded <laughs> it. So I was like, this, it was the best day in the world, yeah. Italy, you got to love it. It's, it's Italian yeah. supercars, they are yeah. just, you know, get out of jail free cards. So, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Ollie, that's fantastic, mate. We're massively jealous. Uh, well done. Uh, I'll take the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kia Picanto. The Kia Picanto uh, on to the Westfield. M25. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be good. It's yeah. going to be good. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Ollie. Sweet scene. Cheers, boys. <laughs> 
Right. So going from feeling like an eight-year-old to being educated like an eight-year-old, I think it's time to bring on Paul Horrell. Yes, the whole copter. So this is the bit, you may be familiar with it by now, where we give Paul Horrell the biggest brain in the automotive journalism industry. 60 seconds to talk about a topic that's completely blind. We haven't told him in advance what this is. Um, and the topic is designed to be far too broad to be explained in 60 seconds. But it's great fun watching Paul have a go. He's very, very good at uh, explaining things in short amounts, periods of time. Especially, he's just told us he's had a coffee. So prepare for four full 17,000 Not just RPM. any coffee, one of his very special homemade espressos, which probably takes about an hour and a half to make. Paul, are you there? I'm here. Thank you. How are you yep. feeling? <coughs> Caffeinated? I, um, I, Rowan doesn't know this, but I saw Jack in the flesh yesterday, uh, and I tried to prime him to let me know what he was going to ask me, what question he was going to ask me today, and he declined. So uh, Yes, he handed, I, he got up to, I think it was 35 quid in cash he was handing me over the table, and I still declined to tell him what the topic was. Uh, Rowan, what is that topic? <laughs> well, now you, have to, look, you may not even have the answer, because I could just make it up now. But Paul Horrell, you have 60 seconds to tell us about hybridization. We would like to know all the different levels and types of hybrids, Ouch. as there are a few. 60 uh, seconds, good luck. And it starts now. Okay, the, the thing you need to know about hybridization at the beginning of all this is that a petrol engine is not very efficient unless it's working quite hard. Um, so what you do with a hybrid is effectively you work the engine fairly hard uh, most of the time and the rest of the time you, uh, you t ideally turn it off and let the electric motor do its thing. And if the electric and petrol work together when you're working hard that also means that you don't need such a big engine so uh, you lose some of those inefficiencies as well so that's all great okay a mild hybrid you can more or less forget because it doesn't really allow the engine to uh, to operate uh, unassisted um, all it does is store a bit of energy on the uh, as you decelerate and then um, reuse it later it's often just a 12 volt battery or a 48 volt battery not very much a full hybrid has two uh, 280 or 300 or even 400 volts inch battery, more powerful battery. It can actually drive along uh, unassisted for a little while. Finally, you have a plug-in hybrid where you store a lot of energy from the da -da, grid. Da -da, da -da. Uh, I won't do the full countdown theme tune for uh, rights reasons, but Paul, that was quite impressive. You got to plug-in hybrid, but I don't think you fully managed to get the explanation out. Would you like another no. 10 seconds to complete that? Alright, so basically with a plug-in hybrid, uh, you're using uh, grid electricity by plugging in that means that the actual petrol consumption that you measure uh is is not really a realistic figure um because there's also the electricity it's like when your doctor says what do you drink and you say i have about mm, five pints of beer a week and you haven't told him about the bottle of whiskey that's what's going on <laughs> and your personal favorite pool your personal favorite hybrid <laughs> my pool? yeah that's what my personal favorite what hybrid Oh, I, I don't mean, want to know about your personal favourite whiskey. You'll drink anything, I know you. <laughs> Petrol, he <laughs> drinks that. <laughs> He's a, a hybrid. Dead. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I mean, I think a, you know a regular a regular hybrid with a reasonable size battery that you know weighs uh, that doesn't weigh too much and doesn't generally inhibit the system too much, but just gives you a useful little kick. Um, that's what I'd have. Should we bev or fev? Uh, Bev? Well, Bev is a battery vehicle. Fev. I know. Yeah, yeah. Which one should we be in? A Bev or a Fev? 
This is consumer advice now, Paul. We're trying to give the listeners something to take home. Okay, well, Bevis battery electric vehicle. That's, that's, that's kind of my preferred form of locomotion for anything other than recreational driving at the moment. Uh, you know, if I'm just trying to get around, I'll get around in a battery car. It just makes more sense. Uh, oh, you, you also, don't be confused by the difference between a FEV, uh, which is P-H-E-V, uh, full, uh, sorry, plug-in, P for plug-in, hybrid it, electric vehicle. Um, which is a petrol petrol engine car, or FEV, which is a full hybrid electric vehicle, FCEV, which is fuel cell electric vehicle. I Hopefully, mean, you can see the look on Paul's face now. He's really screwed up, yeah. and he's gone into a- his sort of acronym mind palace. It's fantastic to watch, um, Paul. That's fantastic. I think any more information, and my head's going to explode. Um, Rowan, you happy with that answer? I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that was once again fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Lovely and we'll to see, see you soon for another sandwich and a coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Cheers, Paul. Bye. Okay, so we've ticked off the Kuntash on the Stelvio. We've talked about FEVs and BEVs. Uh, what else is going on in the issue? FEVs, BEVs and FEVs again. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't sorry. forget that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is a bumper issue, this one. There is absolutely stacked with many features, many cars driven, including the new McLaren Artura. Yes. We've waited a while for that one, haven't we? We have waited a while. Uh, I, I, if it had arrived before the 296 GTB, I think it would have probably got... Uh, slightly more rave reviews. I mean, it's a good car. It's a really good car. Look, we're going to have those cars together soon to, to find out which is best. But, um, yeah. And then Supervan. You went out in Supervan. The new Supervan. Supervan. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we managed to go out to um, Austria just before. They were literally still building it uh, in order to get it to the Goodwood Festival of Speed a week later. Um, it was an interesting trip because we turned up expecting to have the car for a full day to shoot it, passenger ride in it, get to know it, meet the engineers, and they were just flat out still building it. They were like, yeah, what you can need to do is push your flights back by 24 hours and go and sit in the corner quietly while we finish it. Uh, to be fair, they did get it to the track at 4am the next morning for us to get a video and a magazine feature in the bag. By it's the a, skin of our teeth. It's amazing. It's because the motor shows aren't happening as often, but Goodwood was a, a big hard point for everyone to get their cars ready. Mm. Everyone was still building them the night before. Why do they leave it to the last minute? Yeah, I procrastination. Mean, exactly. Come on, they need to work on a magazine for a bit, get some real deadlines. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've done an investigation into the history of black with the new Rolls-Royce Black Badge Ghost. It's actually the blackest Rolls-Royce that they've ever made. And they actually made it for us, yeah. right? Yeah. What's Full happened smoke. to it now? You haven't got it secretly parked up in your flat, have you? Yeah, I bought it. No, I didn't buy it. No, no. They're, they're, they're using <laughs> it for friends. other marketing material or it has been sold because, as you'll learn in the story, black is quite something that draws a lot of money out of people and this one especially. Um, but yeah, there is will that, be a video on the YouTube channel with that too. Is that dangerously close to being a think piece, Rowan? It is. Oh. I, I put some thought into it. <laughs> so I think that there is a, some a thinky element. But then there is another big story, mm-hmm. and this was an exclusive well, which we put on the YouTube channel uh, last issue, but just because we had it first before anyone else, but saved it for print, the Hennessy F5. Yes. So this is the story that I want to talk about um, because it involves me, uh, which is the Hennessy F5 Venom. Now, we've been tracking the progress of this car for 
years, in fact, since John Hennessy uh, probably scrawled on the back of a napkin somewhere that he, you know, if you had a car with 1,800 horsepower that weighed this much and had this drag coefficient, it would go over 300 miles an hour. So I'll go and build it. Um, he does we, all his finest work on the back of a napkin because the deep space as well was on yeah. an Amex receipt or something like that that he ended up doing uh, that in. Yeah, I mean, uh, we went to see Gordon Murray recently. He has got a very professional engineer's draftsman's board. I think he's trying too hard. Just napkin and a biro. I'm just going to get John Hennessy a notepad for Christmas, I think. Yeah, yeah. You don't Maybe from Beaconsfield Services. You don't want to spoil him. Um, but yeah, so we followed it right through. The amazing thing about this car is it had all the hallmarks of being vaporware. You know, it would get to a point that you'd either run out of money or enthusiasm or, you know, hit an engineering um, wall. But no, he's seen it right through into production, 24 cars, um, 2 million quid each, uh, 1.9 million quid, actually, bargain, um, all sold out. And and yes, this is um, one of the very fastest cars in the world. I'm not going to say the fastest car yet because they haven't done a top speed 300 mile an hour plus run, but it is very much capable of it. The The theory, I love this, if you just simply put the gear ratios, the power uh, and the drag coefficient of the car into a computer, the theoretical top speed is 340 miles an hour. Now, it will actually be a little bit south of that, the true top speed, and maybe your tyres will explode on the way to 300. But look, the bottom line is this is a very hairy, scary supercar. Forget all these electric hypercars and everything else. This is proper twin-turbo V8 American muscle. I love it. But also, it is, like you say, those tyres where everyone else kind of fusses over making you know, a bespoke tyre. John just got them off the shelf and he's bolted them on and just made crazy power and then we'll see where it gets to. But... I went to see the car a couple of weeks before you went out to drive it, just to make sure it was there and it worked. <laughs> and um, I wasn't allowed to drive it at the time, but I went out in a, uh, for a passenger ride on their um, drag strip and uh, we took it to a local barbecue joint. And um, So you were it, out in Texas anyway, right? So yeah. you were doing your, your slab story and you thought, hey, let's stop, stop by our mate John and see what he's got Well, I on. just love going to his shed because it... With all the best will in the world, it is a shed on the side of a motorway. Yeah, it's brilliant. And he just knocks out some of the fastest cars in the world, most powerful. But, you know, I love American muscle cars. And he gets American muscle cars and he just turns them up to absolute mm-hmm. bananas levels of power. Yeah. And he's just got this dyno that runs all day. And it's just a V8 roar just coming from this shed and exhaust coming back, back flowing into you. Um, but then it's good to see. But the F5 was there. And that thing makes a sound like I've never heard before. Yeah. It is yeah. a proper, like, top fuel yeah. dragster kind of hit you in the chest. I think I just. Describe it in the magazine as a it's like a T-Rex puffing on a pack of B and H. But it's it's not just a noise, it's a there's heat coming off it, there's vibrations, there's all sorts of things and sensations going on um with that car. But it's visceral, it's really American. You know, the funny thing, you talk to John about it, it is quite sophisticated in some ways, that car. Um, but you know, you place it next to a Chiron, for example, or a LaFerrari. It, it's not. It's it's a lot of power. It's two very, very big turbos bolted um, to a V8. And uh, and it produces over 1,800 horsepower. Um, it's got some absolutely stupid numbers attached to it. But the whole experience, as you'd imagine with John, was just hilarious. So I, I turned up. Uh, we had a videographer with us, a photographer as well. And we had some time with the car. But it wasn't, you know, this is so far from a kind of... Um, 
organized, uh, you know, stereotypical car launch as you can possibly get. We arrived, John's there, um, giving everyone high fives, giving us a tour of the factory floor. He has to fly off because there's some high profile client who wants to buy one of these cars. So he has to get on the jet to Miami to go and see them. I'm bound legally that I can't tell you who it is. Um, but um, and and there we are. And the car's over there. The guys are working on it. When it when it's uh, when it's all bolted together, you can go and have a drive. I had a similar experience because it also had to have some final calibration done. So, at which point, uh, John's currently rolling around in a, a, a Tesla Plaid. We're yet to drive one in the UK, so I hadn't had to go. He just threw me the keys and goes, "Go, I'm to go on the track if you want." Does it? Is it the yoke? They had the yoke wheel. Very, very bizarre. Yeah. Not a good design, but yeah. also the brakes cook themselves <laughs> first time round. Uh, but it is very quick. But, you know, that is, a you know, especially in the world of the internet, a bonkers quick car. Yeah. And then yeah. I went out in the F5, which you can say is different mm. from the driver's seat. Yeah. But the theatrics and the experience. Yes, these, um, you know, fully electric supercars drop all their torque straight away. That's not exciting. Yeah. What is terrifying is the way that thing boosts up. And when you hit third gear and then you just see these speeds jump from 130 to 170 yeah. to 180 is nuts. So I must be honest, actually. I, I, I did get to experience the car from the passenger seat before I drove it myself. Uh, they've got uh, John, the best name ever, John Heinrocket Heinrichy. Um, who is their chief engineer. He's also their test driver. He's a bit of a legendary racing driver in the US. Um, so he said, hey, uh, before you know, before you have a go, why don't you hop in with me? I was like, yeah, I think that's probably a good idea, John, that, that you show me what the buttons do. And anyway, we pull out of the shed. They've got a drag strip. They've got their own drag strip. Um, they're right on the premises um, of Hennessy headquarters. Um, and there's a, just a little service road. I, I mean, to call it a road even is is overinflating things. It's a pathway. It's very narrow. Basically the same width of the, as the car. And we come out of here and he sort of looks across at me and absolutely guns it down this path. Grass either side. If he dips a wheel on here, I'm like, we're, we're just, we're goners. But of course, he's a much better driver than I am and keeps it. But that was a very exciting experience. We then get onto the main straight and he tells me that actually he's only in sport mode, not in F5 mode. So that's 1,200 horsepower. The full yeah. hurricane. Yeah, he hasn't even given it the full boost. So he puts it in F5 and then takes me up and down the, the strip and it just blows the air out of my lungs. And then I'm sitting there um, on the start line of the strip, you know, on my own, pouring pouring petrol in from a big plastic bottle on my own and everyone just sort of disappears and, and leaves us to it. Uh, and, yeah, there's this moment when I'm sort of deciding whether to put it in sport mode or F5 mode or I've heard stories, you see, about cars spinning their wheels in fourth gear on this very drag strip um but to be fair um without much sophistication i i gun it in f5 mode it's ridiculously quick and actually there wasn't any drama i mean there's drama in the speed that it's going in a, in a straight line but no hiccups or, or or wheel spin or anything so there's sophistication to the traction control that perhaps wasn't there in some of his earlier cars but it's just such a such a cool experience. Wait, hold on a second. There was drama because the last thing I said to you before oh, yeah. you flew out to Hennessy, I said, what's your breaking point? Because you are going a lot quicker than you probably think yeah. uh, when you get to it. And what was the first thing that you texted me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost crashed it. I almost outbroke myself. So basically what had happened, <laughs> I'll explain myself, was that when I was having that passenger ride, um, 
the Hein rocket had hit about 170 miles an hour by the end of the runway. And, and this is a very small drag strip, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, quarter mile and a bit. Uh, and basically what I'd forgotten was that he had come off this service road already carrying 50 miles an hour and then gunned it. So I was doing a standing start launch. So by the time I was... <laughs> I was in full flow, looked look down at the speedometer, and I was doing about 140, thinking, come on, Jack, you know, you're braver than this. He hit 170. I could see the end of the runway approaching, but I thought, look, I'm at least going to hit 150. You know, I've got a safe face here. Um, so I decided for no particular reason that I was just going to hit 150, at which point I look up, the end of the drag strip is approaching rapidly. You know that feeling in your stomach where you go, yep, not enough space to break this thing. Slam on the brakes. ABS going crazy. And fortunately, that service road I mentioned was over to the left. So I just managed to steer it into the road. Eyes on stalks. Pants very, very full. Uh, but, yeah, managed to save it. Cruise back to, to everyone who was watching from the sideline who all knew exactly what had happened and were pointing and laughing at me. Yeah, but it's, it is just a phenomenal thing, but also such a kind of trophy for America, I think, where everything is becoming a bit homogenized in design and uh, appearance and character. Mm -hmm. This thing, if an alien landed and you said, which country is this from? Yeah, They've probably got Bruce Springsteen denim jeans up in space. They go, that's American. That thing is American. Yeah, it's very American. And just um, in case people weren't sure, we did this great shot, which actually mimicked uh, when the, uh, what was the, the Venom GT, when that did the 270 mile an hour record speed run, the great picture of them holding an American flag out the window, which is actually in the reception of Hennessy HQ. So we replicated that in the F5 Venom. Um, it was just an amazing experience. Drove it on road, drove it into town when it got a drive through burger in it because America. Um, just, yeah, just had great fun. And the other thing I would say is this story's far from over. I had a blast up and down the, the drag strip. Um, I had a go on the road. But we still need to hit some big speeds in this. We still need to drive it properly around the racetrack because it's got, it's got all the fundamentals to be very, very, very fast. Um, so, yeah, I think watch this space. There's more to come from that car. Yeah, because I went for a barbecue dinner with uh, John Hennessy where it was just the most phenomenal amount of meat. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. There's a brilliant picture in the magazine of you and him linking arms like some sort of newlyweds um, sharing some... It's not your typical meat. corporate picture of a CEO's <laughs> interview, but we don't like to do things normally here. But no, but John said, and he does like to use other companies as a bit of a framework, but, you know, his ding-dong with Bugatti, which he had for Durheim over the years, and Christian von Koenigsegg, you know, he does like the, live, the rivalry of top speed. Everyone else is tailing off slightly, but he also mentioned, you know, Bugatti, they uh, delivered their Chirons first and then three years later went out and did the record. Mm. He started delivering his F5. I think he's delivered two or three now. Mm -hmm. They're all in builds, being both here in the UK and finished off in the US. Um, so, and, you know, 300 plus both ways, 304 plus both ways is what he's targeting. And um, he's a man who doesn't give up. So no, he's going to do it. I mean, he's going to have an attempt and, and I would suggest that he's going to do it because that, that car has power to spare. They just need a driver that's prepared to put their life on the line. Did you also, because we have just come off the back of Goodwood, it spat out a flame like I've never seen oh, out of the yeah. back. It was at least 14 foot long out and, the back and, of it. And just to give you an idea of... Uh, what what kind of a CEO John Hennessy is? He actually WhatsApped me 
uh, that clip. I think he must have been watching Goodwood on YouTube or something and, and, and had f- filmed the clip of it spitting flames out the back and WhatsApp to him. No comment, just here's a picture of my car spitting flames. That's, that's the man who's proud of his work. That's yeah. proud of work. But anyway, yeah, great story. Great to get back in that car. Amazing access as usual. There is a video and of your um, Code Brown moment on YouTube, so go watch it. Uh, but yeah, like Jack said, that's not not the end of this story. Um, we will be there following it throughout. And there's lots and lots of very fast, very powerful cars coming. It very much feels like, you know, everyone's seeing the end of the combustion engine. Let's just let's just party. Huge opportunity for Code Brown moments these days. <laughs> yeah, huge opportunity. More um, pants, please. Brand new section incoming for the podcast, and it's called, imaginatively, Controversial Question. Yeah. And the question this week is, is the new ProDrive P25 Resto Mods price taking the mick? Yeah, to answer that, we've drafted in Ollie Q, the man, probably the only man, actually, who spent some proper time with ProDrive's new Resto Mod. So go on then, hot take. What do you think? Thanks for that one, Jack. Dropping me straight in. At the deep end with, <laughs> yeah, this Resto Mods, a car so new, they were still building it as we turned up mm. to take the photos for it and shoot the video you can find on the YouTube channel, a £552,000 Subaru Impreza. So immediately, Ooh. exactly, it's a huge amount of money. But, okay, quickly, let's rattle off the devil's advocate things. One, all Resto Mods are huge money. Two, it's based on the iconic Impreza 22B, which, want one of those at auction, caught for a million quid, £300,000. So, Probably a bit ratty, a bit yeah, ratty on the inside. Exactly, yeah. it's already got someone else's farts in it, so you might as well have a box <laughs> fresh one. And, mainly, it's been built by ProDrive, the race team that masterminded Subaru's WRC titles. You know, if anyone's got the know-how to charge half a million quid for a Scooby, it's got to be ProDrive. Mm-hmm. But hold on a second, you said that all resto mods have to be furiously expensive. Do they? Do well, so they need to be crazy expensive just to have a slightly rejuvenated old well, car? Well, we've certainly been desensitised to the price yeah, of, we're just uh, used to uh, it. you know, it's sort of half a million pound entry price, isn't it? When a resto mod that's done well and done properly. I think Singer, you know, when we first started hearing that Singer's cost 600 grand and upwards, we were like, oh, that's the level that it takes to get there. And everyone set that as their benchmark. Well, no, 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 no. Rewind back. When we first drove a Singer, we were like, it's actually quite cheap. And then, then they started ramping the <laughs> yeah. price. So we're probably to blame for this inflation that's Fair happened. Enough. It's like and the then Pagani there's effect of those cars came out, caught a million pounds, now they're two million pounds. Yeah, exactly. Just and there's a lot of rich people in the world to, to, well, to buy them. But So my only experience with this car is we saw one uh, at Goodwood Festival of Speed. It was going up and down the hill, wasn't it? Yeah, now, that was the day after we finished shooting it. They literally just stuck it all together, put the stickers on, and the following day they took it to Goodwood. Fingers crossed it didn't break. And, well, that's got a credit to ProDrive, isn't it? That it went roaring up and down the hill yeah. and didn't explode. So it works. It works. But it's ProDrive. Look, that's what they do. They make cars go quickly and work. But, you know, if you're spending that sort of money, the beauty of a resto mod is you can kind of bend the rules a bit, okay? So you can take the flavour of the original and kind of enhance it in exciting ways. This looked just very much like a standard car. The wheels looked a bit big and they weren't gold. So, uh, for starters... Oh, that's the controversial question, which I did ask. I asked ProDrive why the wheel's not gold and they said, the problem is, blue Impreza, gold wheels, it just looks like everyone else's sort of tuned up Subaru. They wanted their car to have a bit more class, a bit more subtlety. No offence, Subaru owners, but that was their take on that. And then with the, what you're paying for, I guess you're saying you want to bend the rules. I guess if you look under the skin, it's got carbon fibre shell, which has been overseen by Peter Stevens, the guy who 
you know, drew it originally and did the McLaren F1. It's got this rally spec sequential gearbox with clever launch control. You can have adjustable throttle maps and it's got Apple CarPlay so you can listen to the Top Gear podcast while you're charging along. It's sort of got all the bits on paper that you'd want, but I still think, well, judging by the YouTube comments we've had so far, people aren't quite convinced it's half a million quid of what you want. No, because these, you know, rally reps anyway, they were affordable cars at the time and that's where they were marketed for. Whereas like an E-Type from Eagle or, you know, an old 911 has always been slightly more expensive so it can kind of like hold that value um, and then charge on there's top a, of it massively. There's a slight element of gentrification here, isn't it? It's like finding out that your local pub's become a kind of members-only club all of a sudden and you're not allowed in with the riffraff. All of a sudden, a Subaru, this working-class hero, is now like Ferrari SF90 money. And it's been told it has to take its tracksuit off because the stickers aren't allowed in, so you have to have some smart shoes to get yeah, to Yeah, you can't come in here with gold shoes, mate. No, no, not, no, not, no, not allowed. Gold shoes and, and stars down the side of it. But it's, it is an area of the market that's interesting because we saw the Amos um, Automobili, the, the, the launch that they did. We haven't seen that again. What happened to that three one? Three-door, yeah. The, the Chimera, like, why can't people do these resto rally uh, rally cars you know, properly, it feels like? But ProDrive will probably see it through. Well, they've sold all of them. And I, what's made me think, they've sold out immediately. 25, someone from ProDrive actually told me it was doubly oversubscribed. So they had 50 people going for them, and that was before they took it to Goodwood and you know spat fire out the back of it. I wonder if this time next year we'll be looking at Escort Cosworth Resto Mod mm. or you know, well, pick Evo. a rally car. Evo Resto yeah. Mod, exactly. All of these great heroes that we all drove, Sega Rally, you know, 80s, 90s, the 2000s rally cars, could they all be about and, to come back? And I'll back? tell you what, it's sensible business because this is this sort of new wave of 90s, um, uh, resto mods, right? So uh, when was the 90s? 30 years ago. So the people that were sort of scraping together the, the little money they had and pouring it into their um, road rally rocket at the time, well, they've if they've made it, it's 30 years later. They've Gosh, got the loads of money now. So you, and, and what do you want to do when you're, when you're old and rich? You want to relive your youth, don't you? So, yeah, I think there's a sensible business case here. I, 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 personally, I think it's a shocking amount of money, but it's not necessarily a bad piece of business from ProDrive. No, the market is spoken and they're all sold. So it's just a case of who's going to be up to the plate next. Yeah, ka-ching. Ka-ching. All right. Well, as we've got you here, Ollie, should we move on to our uh, top nine quiz, which is something we do every pod. Uh, Ollie writes these brilliant top nine lists for the website, for the magazine, um, where he, yeah, he he chooses cars, things that come under a certain heading. We have three guesses each to guess the things or the cars that are on his list, and then he tells us why we're wrong. What's the topic this week? Well, in a rare moment of Top Gear podcast synergy, it links to what we were just talking about because the Impreza 22B that the ProDrive was based on, that was only ever supposed to be sold in Japan. They ended up actually building a few more for the Australian and the UK market. But got me thinking about cars that are forbidden fruit, the cars that we want in the UK, but their manufacturers won't sell them here. So can I have... Your guesses for forbidden fruit cars, please. Jack, I just like the phrase. I just like the phrase forbidden fruit. Um, uh, look, I, I, my memory isn't what it used to be, so most of the ones that I'm thinking of are from recent years. So I'm just going to dive straight in with an obvious one. Ford Bronco. I hate it when you say obvious one. <laughs> Ford Bronco, very topical. The big SUV they've announced this week is coming to. Europe in left-hand drive, but they are not going to sell it in the UK. It remains to us. 
Forbidden Fruit. I'm sorry, Jack. Oh, they're just tantalising us. It's just just over the ocean. We're isn't stealing. It? We're, we're seeing some really good specs as well now that people have got a hold of them. They're mm. modifying them slightly, and I do really want one. Raptor, still. Bronco mm. Raptor. Too much. The arches are a bit silly. No, but yeah, it's got a big engine. We want that. Yeah. Anyway, my turn. Uh, so I like Japanese cars. So there's plenty that haven't um, made it their way over here. The one that everyone wants is the Toyota Century. That's got to be on the list, surely. Japan's Rolls-Royce. Did you drive? Were you the one that went and drove that? I went and drove it. Oh, scrolling down. I went and drove that. At number nine on the list, the Toyota Century, the V12 limousine of choice. Well, it used to be a V12. I think it's a V8 now, isn't it? A V8 hybrid. Downsizing, even in the... In the in the well, the, the CVT gearbox car. as well. Yeah. yeah so yeah. D- d- uh, enough did, about that. But it's just it's 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 got um, cloth seats, which is fantastic. So it doesn't squeak, right? When you shuffle on them, isn't that why? Oh, possibly. I don't. No, no. I think it's because they're more luxurious within that part of the world. Oh, I thought it so you didn't get any embarrassing sort of raspberry noises as you shuffled in your chair. Well, possibly that's just another bonus that's on top. A, yeah, it's just a added bonus. Right uh, in if you've got a century, let us know. Well done, Ron. No, but uh, no, but you also you could post your legs through the centre of the seat. It was flat. <laughs> no, it's the most. Google it. It For is what the most purpose? bizarre. Well, so you can extend your legs. You literally just put it through the middle of the, the front seat. Oh, right. It flaps one. down like a little Boot cat your flap. your chauffeur off the, off the front of his no, seat. No, you're sat on the other one. But you've got to make sure no one else is in the front. But yeah, you can literally just feed your legs through. Yeah. Not mine. They were too, they were too long and too wide. <laughs> but uh, yeah. How do you, you take your shoes off? Well, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, the res- respect. Respect the century. Um, Sorry. You'll go, Jack. One point to Ryan. Well, Jack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it Japanese, actually, and a very current, which is uh, the GR Yaris, the car we know and love. They're mm. doing a GR Yaris GRMN. I think I've got that right. That's a lot of letters. Um, but this is the slightly more hardcore, stripped-out, roll-cage, no-back seats version, which, obviously, we'd love to have here. And I'm just going to have a look at the list. I'm sure you us. are right. That is a correct answer. Yeah. An elegant name, Toyota, GR, Yaris, GR, MN, Meisters of the Nürburgring. But yeah, it's like the GT2 RS treatment for a Yaris. They take the weight out of it, looks even angrier. I mean, I'm sure there'll be aftermarket people in the UK doing a similar kind of thing anyway, but oh, wouldn't it have been great to have it from the factory? But denied. It's a bizarre decision. Like, we've absolutely snaffled up a GR Yaris allocation in, mm. in the UK. And what makes them think they wouldn't sell a load of those as well? I think the Japanese think we're a bit soft because every time they do a super hardcore car, it tends not to come to the UK. It only arrives years later as a bit of a grey import. I think they think that we're all wusses. Yeah, we'll show them. We'll show them. We're really tough, we are. <laughs> the campaign really. starts here. Send us yeah. your hardcore cars. Right, Rowan, over um, to you. Should I go American or should I go Japanese? Let's go Japanese. I never know how to pronounce this one. Is it the Stagia or the Stagia? You know the, the the Skyline Estate R34 had the front of an R34 on it, and then it was the Japanese ultimate for a man of the Gran Turismo era, who's grown up. He's got a dog and some kids. Looks like a Skyline at the front, but then you've got a massive boot to throw. Plasma TVs, children, whatever else you need in it. Yeah, I know the car you mean means. I know it's not on the list. So oh, of course, it never is. Answer. The Nissan Quattro Stagione. Sorry, tied up at one point each. But yeah, that was. Could you drive that on Gran Turismo? Was it available on the game? I don't know. I see when I've been to Japan. I see them. And I instantly want them. But yeah, uh, like an it M3 must have been touring. on there. They were all on there. They had all, they had all the bizarre left field tuners and anyway. Yeah, sadly, not, not on the list. Not, not what we've had in the UK. Unlikely. Not on the list. Uh, bit Jack, weird. You can take the lead here. Bit niche, bro. If I'm honest. Well, that's uh, what it's forbidden fruit. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> very forbidden. Um, I'm gonna take a little journey over to South Korea. Um, for What's the hi- weather like over there? Uh, it's beautiful, man. 
Beautiful. Uh, Hyundai, Hyundai Staria, Staria. Now this is that MPV. You must have seen it. It's it looks mega. like a spaceship. Oh, yes. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, MPVs, at least in my head, are making a massive comeback. ID Buzz, etc. Um, why not bring it over here to the UK? A nine-seater that looks like a sort of launch shuttle bus. It's a cool thing. You can see me wincing because yeah. I know exactly the car you mean now, but I <laughs> didn't put it on the list. It's an incorrect answer. I'm sorry, Jack. As Rowan's only got one guest left, I can give one away for people at home as well. The Hyundai that I did go for... The Veloster N. Oh, yeah. We love that Hyundai is doing this N division, these go-faster cars. The Veloster, this weird kind of coupe hatchback with, I think, two doors on one side and yeah, one three, door yeah. on the other. Mad thing. They brought the last one to the UK when they before they created N. Now they've got these great go-faster cars. They sell it in the US. I think they've just taken it out of production, actually. But not in the UK. Hyundai, what are you thinking of? Bring us your hot hatchbacks, please. America gets a lot of the cool N cars. I know. And they get an Elantra N yeah, as well, yeah, exactly. don't they? Can they get a manual M5 as well? And we don't. Yes, they, they certainly did. have in previous that, generations. Yeah, yeah. Unfair. But mm, let's stick with America then. So we're on one point each here, and Jack's had all three guesses. So this is your this is your chance to win win the round. Well, okay. Let's try. Let's try. I'm probably gonna fail. But it's another car I've always wanted. Another estate with lots of power. <laughs> A CTSV um estate wagon. I can't remember what they were called. It was before all the Blackwing nomenclature and all that kind of jazz. But, yeah, the old Cadillac CTSV wagon. Talking Cadillacs. Yeah. Cadillac Super Estate. Oh, you said no Blackwings. If you'd said the CT5V Blackwing, I'd have given you a correct answer, and but also, it's not on the list. And also, that's the one you want. That yeah, is the one you want. because we drove it recently. It's it hasn't epic. got... It's not a... It's not no, a the estate. new Cadillac. I've got the spec just here. I've had to check it because I thought the numbers were so crazy. I had to, had to re-educate myself. 668 supercharged V8 horsepower, a 10-speed automatic gearbox, or you can have a manual, rear-wheel drive, and it costs the equivalent of 60 grand. So it's like it's a bit half of, of what an M5 now costs. To be honest, for that price, Rowan, you could just pay someone to just weld a estate back on it, if you want. Yeah, actually, I do know a man who does that for a living. <laughs> so yeah, I'll speak to him. Yeah, We'll, we'll do that. So well, I've called... lost again, haven't I? It's a rich seam, this forbidden fruit, but unfortunately, I'm afraid well, everyone's a winner. Or rather, no one is, because it's one point each on this round. Maybe everyone else did better at home. No, but we're not winners because we don't get any of these cool cars. And there's plenty more. Yeah. Well, the only way to solve this is we're going to have to travel around the world driving them all. What else is on the list, by the way? If we've got no... Other stuff we don't get. Okay, the new Nissan Z, the successor ah, to the 360 Z. Yeah. But yeah, but they're not bringing that over here because I think of emissions and whatnot. The, the Subaru BRZ, this is the sister car, the twins of the Toyota GR86, which is sold out. In because, about 90 seconds. Yeah, an yeah. affordable rear drive sports car. Yes, please. Say <clears throat> so the Brits will have one of those. Subaru, would you like some money? Yes. Just, br- just put a lot of them on a boat and bring it over to the UK. Yeah, Subaru I'll meet just the docks. decided they've killed all the Impreza heritage and now they're not even going to bring a great new sports car. Especially when like, Toyota are currently scrambling around the world in other markets to try and find any GR86s that are left in the back of some shops to bring over here. And then BRZ could have, Subaru could have had them all. And uh, I always thought the BRZ was slightly cooler. I think cool the most astonishing thing here is that the three of us aren't CEOs of car companies by now because we've got it figured out. With these, with these product plans, we yeah. know where to send the, the heritage and the... Uh, I'll spend all the money on the Christmas The party. crowd-pleasing cars. Yeah. Go on, anything else? This is a fun one. Uh, what else? I thought the Kia Telluride is something we'd like in the UK. Okay. This is an enormous Kia SUV. It's like £33,000. And it's just like, you know, 
double the size of a G-Wagon. I thought I was cool. They look great as well. Super futuristic. Yeah, the Dacia Spring. It's like the cheapest EV you can think of. 44 horsepower, but 143 miles of range. Uh, I think it's on sale in left-hand drive markets, so in Europe. But they've certainly got more range than a Honda E, and it costs like... What, a third, a quarter of the money? I think we'd have some of that over here. I think there's people who'd want an entry-level EV. Uh, Honda S660, classic K-car, Roadster, 660cc engine, 63 horsepower. What a way to have your kicks in the climate crisis. Yeah, there's loads that um, we just don't get. But I'm sure that now people write in with the cars that we, the Brits, are sold that they can't buy in the US. I mean, M3 Touring, for one. Oh, don't rub it in. Anyway, oh. enough of that, Ollie. That was fantastic. Thank you. Controversial one. To go with your controversial question as well. God, yeah. double hit. Left, right there. Right, into this witness is... protection for me. Yeah. <laughs> controversial episode of the podcast, this one. But on that note, uh, thank you very much, Ollie. Speak soon. Cheers. Okay, that's probably enough uh, from us, Rowan, not least because we got quite a lot of housekeeping uh, this week. Uh, we've been at Goodwood. We've been running around with microphones, waving them around in uh, important people's faces, um, gathering various interviews of CEOs and the great and good uh, at Goodwood. So we've done a series of interviews which are going to slot in uh, between these magazine podcasts, which are actually really exciting. We've got Christian von Koenigsegg. Um, we've got the boss of Singer. We've got loads of other big names that we've spoken to. So make sure you keep your eyes out for those on the podcast feed. Yeah. And obviously there's the YouTube t- channel as well, which has been populated with all the things we've been talking about. There's uh, Ollie Marriage's Kuntash video. Plus we have also, well, you've been in that super van. At high speed? I have, yes. So uh, have a look for the Supervan video. It's a 2,000 horsepower electric Ford Transit. I don't think I need to say anything more, do I? No, and Jason Barlow has also been around the Ionic 6, which do watch that video because it is a complex design, which a 20-minute video helps explain. And you do need all 20 minutes to try and explain it. Annoyingly, I had my mind fully made up about that car, and then I watched the video and went, maybe I haven't thought about this enough and it's more interesting than I thought. But anyway, take a look. It's a fascinating car, and and it's a great, great video. And I should also remind you at this point that you can email us at the Top Gear Magazine podcast. So podcast at bbctopgearmagazine.com. Let us know what you think. Ask us any questions. We might even read any out. So far, the response, I'll be honest, it's been lacklustre. Mainly uh, penis enlargement uh, emails. You know, that general junk that falls into your inbox. But we could do with some useful and interesting correspondence, please. Yeah, you've got loads of cash for gold, though, haven't you, so far? Or selling all your your grand jewellery. But anyway, yes, and also please uh, subscribe to the pod, uh, like, leave a review, and also follow Instagram, Twitter, uh, and all the other social medias, and topgear.com for all your latest news and reviews. And, hey, go out and buy a copy of the magazine. Yes. Yeah, all right. I think that's enough. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. See you next time.